Yeah, the, the examples like in the video are nifty, but I want to see some like goodwill hunting style math equations going on here. <laughs> so you, one. four squared plus two. Oh, okay. God, that's actually pretty cool. I'm sure that's hard, but goddamn it, I want to see like an entire blackboard. Boom. So- Hey everybody, welcome to episode 116 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Aaron Bay in Whitby, Ontario. Hello there. And we have Jaime Lopez back again on... Thank goodness. Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And there it is. It's going good, Jaime. It's going good. Jaime Lopez. And we have Mark Rubin, as usual, down in San Jose, California. Hello. Missed you there, Jaime. It was uh, a, a long two weeks where we just didn't have any Jaime Lopez Jr., and it, it just isn't the same without you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. A couple of things. I mean, I last week I was uh, starting my first week at work and was in Portland, uh, Oregon. And the week before, I was woefully sick with a cold and sounded like garbage. Oh, well. Everybody's got their oh, reasons. That's what it was. Even if they're made up. <laughs> yeah. We thought okay, you were hawking hamburgers or something. Hawking hamburgers or something? Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's why you got a dry throat, you know, cheeseburger, cheeseburger, Pepsi, Pepsi. No, that's you know. that's a reference and I don't get it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, that's okay. Let's, uh, let's do some FU. That's the only All thing right. I can say. So actually, before that, we do the FU, I think we we, we have to FU? ask Mr. Jaime Lopez if there's anything in the Ash MTJC vault. Oh, yes. I'm sure there is. Uh, uh, I'm looking at my for that. saved search. I've got something from 12 hours ago from, you'll never believe this. <laughs> it's Jesse, of course. And so... Jesse, yeah. <laughs> I like the Apple Pencil better than Wacom. Wacom. And its support is my number one wish for new Macs. Have any of you had an Axiotron modbook? So, statement, then a question. Well, we'll, we'll take right. the statement as read. The question was, have any of you had an Axiotron modbook? Um, yes. this, this is the thing that, um, I don't think it's been around for a while, but, uh, this company made a, a MacBook where they had replaced the screen with a touch screen to sort of give you like a proto tablet computer using an existing MacBook. Very expensive. Um, the, my answer is no, never seen one in person. You guys? Yeah, I've played with them a number of times because one of the dealers around, like I think Carbon Computer down, which used to be down on Queen Street here, had used to sell them. So I'd seen them, um, and it was a it was a thing where you if you bought like a, one of those white MacBooks, you know, the the low end models, and you would send it into them, and they would take tear off the screen, and I mean not gently tear off the screen, <laughs> and replace it with a replace it with a essentially like essentially like an iPad, I guess. Um, it was much thicker, of course, and it was heavy, and and uh, it had a stylus, and it had a virtual key keyboard and you could also use a, a it had usb ports on it so you could use a keyboard traditional keyboard but it was it was kind of cool and there was at the same time i was telling jesse that there was a competing product i can't remember the name of the manufacturer who did something on windows and that's when i first sort of tried the i think they had a, te- a handwriting technology called jot or ink one of those two um and it was a very it, it, it was a great that was actually a much nicer device than the axion modbook but except it ran windows right so that was the one showstopper for me and i think that's um, gonna be I, a theme I, tonight yeah and the <laughs> well, well hang on would yeah it's gonna i think there's gonna be quite a i was almost thinking of driving to the microsoft store this, tonight but mm. um which we'll hear about later i was going to say that the axion people tried to resurrect the product um about two years ago i think because yeah that rings a bell you know 
Yeah, I think when the aluminum Max MacBooks came out, um, they tried to do that again. But I think it was a Kickstarter thing, and I don't really know if it went anywhere. So, but it was a cool device. I'll uh, paste a link to modbook.com into the show notes so that people can yeah look at that themselves. I think themselves. we talked about it. We've talked I think about we did too. Yeah, that does early, early, early. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that appears to be all we have in the Ask MTGC bucket. So, shall we do FU? So there is one that, that's not so much uh, an ask as it is an answer, right? So this okay. is from uh, Vic Hudson saying, I'm answering an Ask MTJC question. Oh, that's right, yeah. Working with core data caused me to adopt what I call POOP, P-O-O-P, with a poop emoji, a.k.a. protocol object-oriented programming. <sighs> and that actually makes a ton of sense because core data is full on objects all the way. I can definitely understand that. Okay, good to know. Is it anybody, um, as a quick aside, is anybody using the new core data stack for iOS 10? I don't know if anybody here is, is uh, on an iOS 10 only app. I've yeah, been modifying some of them, mine, but so what, is there any something new in that? I don't remember, recall what, what yeah, there, the core data. There was some stuff, uh, Mark, you can probably do this better than I can. There was some stuff that was like turning, you know, good practices into like, yeah, this is just what core data does out of the box now, instead of having to, you know, Oh, the boilerplate, right? Yeah, yeah. Something. Yeah, they they really simplified the setup of the core data stack. Yeah, they, they, I think they got rid of a lot of the redundancies. If, if I recall, now that you're reminding me, what was uh, was changed in it? Yeah, so they so they they simplified the the way the stack is set up. You don't have to have as much boilerplate in either your app delegate or wherever you put it to to create, first create the person store, and then you don't have to have those fifty lines of code in your in your app delegate anymore. It's it's way simplified, and it handles a lot of it under the hood. Now, uh, in addition, there's there's some uh, better ways of doing uh, of protecting fetches. Uh, when you do a fetch on a thread, uh, it it will it will keep track of the the state of that fetch until you do another fetch. So, in other words, even if you go and create create some changes and push it into the context somewhere else, your particular fetch won't get uh, updated until you explicitly do an update, and that prevents things like faulting, where, where it was a big problem. Where, say, you delete an object somewhere else in in your app, uh, and you had you had had you're using that object, say, in an NS fetch results controller or something like that. Uh, then, as soon as you delete that object elsewhere, your object becomes a fault, and when you try to access it, you can crash if you're not careful. So they've got these this concept of versioning of of fetches where it will keep your fetch intact until you do another fetch, essentially. Uh, which is really a nice thing to, to prevent uh, just accidental collisions between between uh, contexts that are accessed on different threads and things like that. So that's the biggest new thing. That and the simplified stack are the big new things in iOS 10. Having said all that, I haven't used any of it yet. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Sorry for my little segue there. It's just something that came to mind uh, to the, the feedback. Yep. And I, I saw, uh, found this uh, nice article about some of the updates uh, in core data for iOS 10, uh, featuring in particular NS Persistent Container, which encapsula- encapsulates That's, the setup. Yeah. yeah, that was the thing I couldn't remember the name of. Right. Yep. Yep. There you go. Can we do follow-up so, now? So, yes, yeah, sure. Third time's the charm, who's, right? Who's the AirPod dude? I'm the AirPod dude. All right. Give her. Um, I tried to put a crying face emoji into this google doc but it would not allow me and i'm very sad sad it is sad sad but you know what's sadder tim 
no airpods no airpods tim not till not not in late october as far not as in late right? october and um i wanted to write in airpods delayed indefinitely but that felt mm-hmm. too scary to even put into words but that mm-hmm. is the fact of the matter uh today on the 26th of october apple announced that the airpods will be delayed they will not be shipping at the end of October because it is the end of October. We really hope, like, I was just expecting that they would, uh, at tomorrow's keynote, the Mac keynote, that you will hear about before you hear us talk about it, <laughs> um, that they would announce that the AirPods were available now and you could order them today, but uh, that is absolutely not going to happen, and we just don't know when that's going to happen. So uh, so that's really unfortunate. Uh, I was so much looking forward to that uh airpods but uh yeah we gotta wait don't know how long uh tim you've got quite a bit of fu do you want to take it through from the sure uh well the the edition watch uh fu is not much of a surprise but if you recall i think a while back we were sort of speculating on uh, where um they would be selling these fancy watches the edition watches the gold ones the 24 carat or 24 thousand dollar ones whatever they were um, and I think now that Apple's sort of stepped back away from the really expensive ones and now going to ceramic as the top end, um, no surprise, the uh, galleries in Lafayette Mall in Paris are closing down. Um, and I, to me, that sort of gives an indication that maybe they just weren't selling, question mark? What do you think? Like, I kind of wonder what the, you know, this is insider data for Apple, so we'll we'll never know. But I would be super curious to see what they projected success for that model, right? Like, um, and, and where they ultimately ended up because at, you know, 10 K as the, the entry level price for that model, it, it's kind of limited as to how many people could possibly buy that much less people who would want it. Right. And so I'm, I'm very, very curious about that. Well, high, the high fashion mar- high fashion market is a tough nut to crack. Like to get into that sort of area, I think the fact that they've done Hermes bands and and now they have a second and I think maybe second generation or third generation with Hermes shows that there is some interest from the from the haute couture people, but not so much uh, with the the high end watch, I guess, right? I think they're just looking to uh, find their place in the higher end market. And I think it became pretty clear to Apple that the $10,000 and up market was maybe not for them, which is why they're refocused very clearly, I think. You look at the Hermes watches and you look at the ceramic watch edition that exists now, and they're in the just over $1,000 range in Canadian dollars. And yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. you can see why, you know, like they they are not expensive enough to be in places like the Gallery Lafayette in Paris. Right. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I think it makes sense that they pull out because I think they're just uh, refocusing their priority on, you know, what what a fancy ass watch is. Right. So they're coming in at the low end of the high end where they're more in that premium right. market than they are, you know, the actual like luxury market. Probably a good thing. I mean, it, it wasn't really a good fit anyway, and it just complicated the, the product line. Right. Better to simplify and uh, and focus on, on just things that are doing well. Yeah, it always felt like a mistake. Even when they first did it last year, when they announced the edition watches, uh, it felt like a totally unApple move. And I'm sure we talked about that. So it's great to know that our instincts about some things regarding Apple could be correct. (laughs) (laughs) True. Wait, wait, hold on. So as a quick aside here, uh, anecdote here. So I went to the Apple store to see the ceramic edition watch and ultimately decided there that it wasn't for me. I didn't like it enough. 
And then um, I saw a coworker with one, like out in the real world, so not in, in Apple's bright, glitzy store. And it actually looked way better to me, wow. at least, like the yeah. way I liked it. It looked um, less plasticky, I guess. The lighting, that at least at the yeah. store that I went to, mm-hmm. made it shine too much. And when I saw it outside um, in natural light, I actually liked it a whole lot more, and I'm reconsidering buying one. Mm. Really? Wow. Yeah. Huh. yeah. Yeah. I tell you, I saw it in store, and I am in love. I think it's amazing. Um, it's like it's like the opposite of the jet black iPhone. That's what it is, mm-hmm. except mm-hmm. Well, ceramic. Mm-hmm. But uh, I I can't spend that kind of money on that watch. <laughs> that's the only thing that's holding me back. Yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah. I'm with you though, Jaime. I, I think it's a beautiful watch. Don't Are you guys focus. seeing a lot of the watches out in the in the wild in general? I am. I do see quite yeah. a few. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a thing. There's no question in my mind. There's, it's definitely a thing. I don't see as many uh, watches as I see Blackberries, um, but uh, it's definitely a non-zero Wait. number. Hold on. You see more Blackberries than you see watches? Oh, yeah. I live in Canada, bro. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, fortunately, I see more watches than Blackberries, but it's pretty. There, there, are, there are still a number of them. I think if I sort of gave a note, like of the sort of, you know, maybe 50 to 100 people that I that I see on a daily basis, at the bank, um, I'd probably say five to ten percent have watches. So, well, wow. that's yeah. yeah, that's a good number. Yeah, I was going to ask you to clarify uh, real world there because uh, for me, real world when I'm you know out at you know developer type things or places where developers might naturally congregate, I see uh, a pretty high number of them out in the like average normal person non IT affiliated world. Uh, I still see a fair number, although I would say I probably see way more Fitbits than I do, uh, of course, oh, yeah, a, yeah. a different yeah. device, a yeah. much yeah. cheaper device. But critically, like that's the same area that Apple is trying to attack with the whole uh, fitness aspect, especially for the Series 2 uh, watches. Yeah, clearly. yeah. I saw, I saw one of those Moto. Remember the round Moto ones? Uh, it's sort of an Android the 360, watch, I think it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I saw one of those last week in the wild. Yeah, That's the 270. Um, actually, I had a really interesting anecdotal experience uh, spotting watches uh, a couple weeks ago. I was in Niagara-on-the-Lake. You know Niagara-on-the-Lake, Tim? I've kind heard of, of it, yeah. Yeah, fancy sort of uh, small town, you know, she-she shopping sort of thing. Uh, my wife and I were having lunch on a patio, and I looked around and spotted one, two, three, four, four Apple Watches on this patio, um, not including the one on my own wrist. A really yeah, remarkable right. sighting, I thought. They're out there, man. They are totally yeah. out there. So the other follow-up item I had was that uh, a quick article, very short, very short on the fact that the ARM processor um, has appeared in the uh, kernel for Sierra 10.12, which is the latest OS, Mac OS, uh, which is kind of interesting and kind of speaks to some of the ideas that Mark and Aaron have been tossing around the last couple of weeks, that possibly there may be something related to Mac OS, either on an, I, on an iOS-type device or, or vice versa. Maybe you know we what? see an ARM processor in the Mac. Yes. I think we will see an ARM processor in the Mac tomorrow. Cause really? Yeah, your next item. Let's combine this with the next item. Uh, Touch ID on the new MacBooks. So uh, that was one of the big findings this week uh, in the new release of uh, OS X, 10, 1012.1, oh, really? which yeah, came yeah. out this week and had artwork for Apple Pay showing Touch right. ID on the brand new MacBook, which has that 
it's <laughs> it, it will have by the time you hear this you'll know that this is like old news the oled strip above the keyboard on the macbook which also includes a touch id spot to uh to authenticate right. payments and probably mm-hmm. to log in as well uh we're gonna get the full story from apple tomorrow but <laughs> how is such a thing powered um Steve Troughton Smith, uh, a long, long time referred to person on this show, <laughs> has uh, has guessed that there will be an ARM chip inside this Mac, um, and then that ARM chip will include the secure element, which will power the oh, Touch ID. That so, makes sense. Yeah. yeah hmm. Think about it. So, if that's the case, then there will be like an iOS device inside your Mac uh, running this OLED strip. Or maybe just the Touch ID, who knows? Um, but that would in- indicate why we can see this ARM processor support. Wait, in... why would it be? Why do you say it's an iOS device? Well, okay, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> just what if it is? It's a, it's an ARM. It's an ARM processor. Yeah, but but so ARM does not equal iOS, and Intel does not equal macOS. That's true. They're completely uh, it, independent it... degrees of freedom. So it... so it's it's you could you could certainly run mac os on an arm and in theory you could run ios on, on an intel device it's i mean they're completely independent of each other yeah i i do it, i could speculate with aaron on that though from a technology point of view they've already built it into ios devices right so um it's it'd be interesting to see how it manifests but i was also going to say that i mean um biometric and authentication hardware has been a, has been supported by Mac OS for about 10 years or so like you've always been able to go get a USB you know card reader or something like that that you could you just plug it into your Mac and you know configure it and it you know, and off it goes right so um having you know being able to lock your Mac out from access you know without the biometric or some sort of like you know RSA chip or you know what I'm trying to get at right I'm hip to your job card, card reader card reader or something like that uh, they've been a, it's been available in macOS for a long, long time. We just you know haven't seen it, anything in the hardware sense from Apple provided for that, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So it does make a pretty interesting um, image in my head. So I'm looking at my um, Seven Plus and I'm looking at my MacBook Pro and I'm thinking, well, if I were to chop off the chin of the iPhone and shove it into that row, it would actually fit. What do you, sorry, say that again, Jaime. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so I'm going back on the, uh, you know, uh, like an iPhone inside, you know, hardware inside of, uh, of the MacBook Pro. And, uh, you know, if you were trying to, to Frankenstein it, it, it would fit. Like, I'm looking at the chin and the dimensions of that row, you know. Yeah. Yeah, well, even, it, it even totally just a fit. little touch ID circle thing, they, they've already got the reader if you think about it, right? Yeah, just cut that sucker and solder in some new points and call it good. <laughs> Yeah, I see what you mean. Okay. <laughs> well, so a little got bit of hot glue, and you got it all done, glue. right? Yeah, a little duct tape, a little MacGyver. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see tomorrow. Uh, are we going to talk about that? Talk tomorrow's about event. It. Do you want to talk about tomorrow's event? It's a really awkward uh, time for us, isn't it? Because no we are kidding. recording this the Wednesday prior to the event, so hopefully we're not completely wrong. Because um, I think you'd see us being you know pretty right we're, in something we're pretty like, sure you know, the new Macs are coming out tomorrow OLEDs. uh there's been some stuff in the uh, the other unnamed ecosystem that has come out uh, just this very day that uh that certainly wowed a lot of people at my office i don't know if it wowed people uh, on the show yeah, it did wow people on Aaron's the show central, yeah, we, yeah we're gonna talk mm. about that um that's gonna be i think our big topic for tonight oh by the way i should say this episode is brought to you by hired Searching for a new job can feel stressful, scary, and time-consuming. 
Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole, never to be seen again. Sometimes you'll go all the way through an interview process just to find out at the very end that the salary offer or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. But then there's Hired. Hired is the world's most intelligent talent-matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering, development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. We make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. Instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. After completing one simple application, top employers apply to hire you. Over a four-week time frame, you receive personalized interview requests and upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about which opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Throughout the process, your dedicated talent advocate will have your back, providing unbiased career coaching to help you put your best foot forward with potential employers. Hired offers access to 4,000 and more innovative employers, including big brand names like Facebook and smaller emerging startups. The size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. We help people find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. Open to relocation? Just let us know. Your privacy and autonomy in your job search is of utmost importance to us. That's why Hired hides your profile from your current and past employers. The best part, it's always free for you to find your next job on Hired, no exceptions. We pay you to get hired. Today's listeners can earn double our normal $1,000 hiring bonus by signing up with the show's link. That's right, earn $2,000 for finding your next chapter on Hired. Just go to the URL www.hired.com slash more than just code. Yeah, tomorrow's show from Apple is going to be something to see. I mean, we've been waiting so long for news about the Mac and uh, set in contrast to what Microsoft announced today. Um, you know, we're, we're our, I think our expectations are much higher now all of a sudden. Uh, and consequently, I think set up for a, a, a great disappointment because I don't think Apple was aware of what Microsoft was going to announce. I mean, we knew that Microsoft yeah, was going to do cow. something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but you know, you could just see. <laughs> I'm just picturing one infinite loop and a speech bubble coming up with it. One word in it. With Shit. Four letters in it. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say <laughs> reminds of fire truck. Yeah. I mean, good lord! Yeah. It, it makes it. It certainly makes Apple look pretty bad. I think. Um, well, I mean, kudos to Microsoft for finally having, I mean, well, I don't know if you want to talk about it now, but kudos to them for having a commercial that actually uses sort of, it's, I mean, I watched a little clip you've got here in the show notes, and it was a pretty impressive piece, like with all the, you know, bits flying, if you will, but it was very Apple-like, and it was, you know, like I said, it certainly impressed me. Yeah. Well, we might as well get into it. What the heck? Um, sure. <laughs> so here we are uh, today on Wednesday, the October 26th, Microsoft had its event and they announced um, a few things. Actually, it was a it was a large sort of event and they announced the next version of Windows, uh, which was like a creative edition, creative update, I think they called it. And it included a number of features for creative professionals, uh, like 3D modeling, for example, uh, capturing uh, objects in 3d space and then modeling them using like ms paint and then you know sharing etc but then also some significant hardware updates they've refreshed the surface line but the big news of course is the surface studio which is a desktop computer that converts into 
a tablet, I guess you could say. Uh, it reclines. So imagine a an iMac, because <laughs> uh, it looks a lot like an iMac. It's got the big, it has a big 27-inch uh, LCD display. It's on an armature that you can then uh, push back into a about a 30-degree angle, it seems, uh, similar to like a drafting table. And that's what it looks like sitting yeah. on your desktop. Or, or the Wacom Centic is exactly like that. Wacom, Wacom. Wacom. Who knows what they're called? Wacom. Let's (laughs) whack them. Um, I think that's what Microsoft said. Let's whack them. They've got this uh, sort of drafting table approach to computing and so targeted to creative professionals. For for those who work in Photoshop or or who are illustrators, uh, this seems like their ultimate dream machine because it's a huge canvas to work on. And it includes, or I don't know that it includes with, but you know, you you have two accessories for them. You've got the pen, which Microsoft has has shipped for some time. Uh, But there's a new one. It's a Surface Dial. And this is like just what it sounds like. It's a dial. It's like a puck that sits in your desk that can act as a controller for various elements in your applications. But this was the most amazing thing. I thought you can pick this thing up, put it on the display itself, and it's recognized by the software, pending support for it, obviously. Um, and you can twiddle the dial to change settings in real time as you're operating the, the software with your other hand. Um, it was gorgeous and it was absolutely new and inspiring. Um, and I think it caught a lot of people by surprise because we weren't expecting this. And I don't think it's, I think it's been a long time since we've been so pleasantly surprised by something genuinely new in a desktop computer. I think it's a a very clear statement from Microsoft. Uh, boy, how many things are they trying to say here? First thing I think, um, we're coming after you, Apple, I think is the first thing you think that desktop innovation is dead. And as, and we've talked about this before. God knows on this show, uh, Microsoft is saying, no, we think that it's going to be, uh, there's still a long ways to go here. Furthermore, um, who are they targeting with this thing? They're targeting people that are Apple's, Apple's core constituency, the creative professional, you know, they are, they are the, the very inner core. They're getting right into Apple's kitchen and taking their users. You know, there are a lot of people here that are really blown away and want to try this. And I think that's super exciting. Like I am, like I was just like almost clapping and hooting and hollering when I saw this thing because I could not believe that I I was seeing genuine innovation from Microsoft. Microsoft, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Did they did they have like a keynote kind of presentation? Did you watch that? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So um, yeah, it was. <laughs> I mean, it it never 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 has the polish of an Apple keynote. Uh, but uh, it was still uh, very well done and obviously yeah. very much in the style of an Apple keynote. But um, well, I was going to say this yeah, commercial like it was that, that kind of environment here. It, that, that's yeah. totally that, you know, like, like Jaime says, you could just, t- you know, take the voice over and put an Apple, you know, put Johnny Ive talking over it. And all of a sudden it would be an Apple commercial. It's almost identical. Yeah. Visually. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, I, I don't know. Do you guys, did you guys see this first of all? And do you have any reactions to it? So I saw the video, um, and, and not the keynote. So I, I can't talk about all the features, but it, it seemed really interesting with how it interacts with that surface dial. Um, so you've got a, a stylus, I forget what they call it, pen, I think, um, surface pen that you, you use in conjunction with that. And at least the what three and a half minute video that I watched showed, uh, mostly uh, an artistic standpoint, 
for things in terms of uh, color palettes and being able to blend colors. The uh, the other link that uh, that I think you probably put here, uh, reaching ahead for the the Penny Arcade Illustrator, Mike Krahulik. He um, he has been a fan of. Uh, I can't remember if it was it's probably the Surface Pro, probably not the Surface RT. I know he has used it before, in addition to a Cintiq. Mm-hmm. And he said he like really he really dug it, and he liked the fact that um, uh, undo and redo was were mapped in whatever uh, application he was using. I didn't I didn't see which one because I briefly went through that, uh, and that that makes a lot of sense. And the way he described the feel of it that it it feels like a high end volume knob on on like a really high end stereo, and how that moves. I, I can imagine it moves buttery smooth, feels kind of weighty. Yeah, and then apparently it has some sort of haptics to give you a like clicking feel when you've reached the point at which you would give one action versus giving another action. So I definitely yeah. want to go to the Microsoft Store and try this out. Hmm. I think we'll be waiting through some crowds for the first time ever. <laughs> when the iPod first, when iPad first came out, did you ever see that the, around the same time Microsoft introduced their their table, the Microsoft Surface? They were, it was using multi-touch. And they had, you know, they were putting objects on the table and the the interface was reacting to them. And they had photos and all that kind of stuff. Do you remember that? Did you ever see that stuff? <clears throat> so, Tim, that's the uh, original Surface I think you're talking about. And I I think I've seen a few of these out at, um, like, museums and stuff that are pretty cool. Like, you'll put something on the, the Surface, like, table, and it will react. And, and in this case, I think it was like a like avatar um you know the blue furry movie i think was the exhibit and you would put something in a certain spot and it would say oh you know this is uh one of the characters or oh this is like you know one of those flying drop ships that they had for the troops yeah it's kind of interesting in that this is um it's more like a drafting table isn't it it's not so much like a tablet per se because it's way too big and you're not going to like they didn't show, at least I didn't see anything where you could like disassemble it and like carry no. it with carry you to like a boardroom, yeah. right? It's meant no, you're for not like doing that. <laughs> working like an artist um, sitting at your desk. Yeah, that, absolutely. That's exactly what it is. Um, and the thing I, I wonder about when I look at that is as, as exciting and as different as it is, I'm curious to see what other contexts it can be used in because they were almost 100% focused on art and on drawing and on illustration um, and not, not on things that uh, I'm going to say it normal people use computers for, you know um, it's almost as if they had uh, come out with a, with a computer that was the perfect developer machine and, and said, this is for everyone. And I would be super happy, you know, in this theoretical world, but most people wouldn't buy it. Right. So what do you think of that strategy, and does that make sense? Well, are they are they claiming it's for everyone? Well, yeah, I think they are. I think I think they're saying that uh, that this is a computer that lots of people should buy. I think they they want to sell as many as possible, right? They're well, not, of course. Yeah, you know, I don't think they're saying to the to people, look, this is only for you if you're an artist. But that certainly that certainly was the impression I got when I'm thinking about. Um, you know, this dial, which is so fascinating. How can I make use of that in, in my work, I guess, you know, and I, I'm, I can't help but imagine that most people who look at this are going to ask themselves the same question. From a developer standpoint, I could see, you know, if I was developing on, on the windows platform, I could see how moving 
something like um, like an OmniGraffle or Sketch or Visio. A lot of that stuff would be easier on a big plane like that, uh, especially sort of double-handed where I could use the dial and the stylus, or sorry, pen at the same time. Uh, there's just some things that, you know, just using a mouse is, is just not, like it's too slow because it's like move here, okay, you know, let go of the click, move over here, move this other thing where I might sort of be playing around or like, what if that was that? No. Okay. Move it over here. What if it was that, you know, sort of uh, tweaking those things. And as far as sort of reaching out beyond the creative professional route, I think I would end up selling this as the, um, you know, it's a big, beautiful display, right? So even if you don't use it in its, um, drawing drafting table, mode it's still a, a rather nice um all in one and then say oh well uh, do you want to go do some art type stuff great you can do that oh you know does your child want to be involved great look it's this big drawing surface for them just like um we talked about people getting really into that whole coloring book exercise like even as adults <laughs> as a sort of like free your mind sort of thing like this would probably feel really great on that yeah yeah i was i was thinking it could be good for education, although the price may be too high for that and the screen size may be too big, but a, a, a version with a smaller screen size on the desk of every elementary school kid, let's say, when they're learning how to just learning how to write or learning how to do math and a lot of that you just they still just do with pen and paper or pe a pencil and paper. They can do a lot of that on, on here and and they can do art at the same time as well. For engineering, drawing, like you know, traditional engineering and and uh, architecture, I can see totally see that because I mean AutoCAD is a huge uh, Windows uh, product to this day. You know, and a lot of designers use that. And I, and at, it, the angle of it is exactly like I, like I, told, I was telling Mark. I tried Tammy Centique when I was in Tennessee. I had like five minutes with it, but but it, the, it's pretty much the same thing. It's at that same low level angle. You know, like a drawing table kind of angle. I think I think that they're definitely going after the you know the creative professional and and you, you know. Within the commercial, showing illustrations and that kind of stuff, they're just you know def definitely trying to eat Apple's lunch for sure. So they're also coming out with their um, Slack competitor, the upgraded version of Skype for Teams. Uh, so I don't know what that's going to look like, but if you can imagine it being for remote distributed teams, where uh, we're trying to do like a virtual whiteboard, like that, that's kind of terrible with the mouse. And yeah, there, there's, there are some things you could do like, oh, well, you know, hook up your iPad uh, in some cases, but nothing would feel as great as just like, well, you know, Bob and Sally are like talking about this thing. I'm like, well, okay, well, what if we did this? And I could just pull down my screen and draw directly on it and they can see that on the, you know, synced to their screens in real time. I think that would be huge. I would certainly love that. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. So one thing that's, that's interesting uh, regarding tomorrow's event, which will this will be either prophetic or, or uh, completely wrong when the news comes <laughs> out, uh, is that people don't build hardware in a vacuum. They certainly didn't design and build this right. in, in a conference room up in Seattle somewhere. Well, parts of it they did. But the manufacturing of it was all done in the same overseas uh, manufacturing sites that, that everybody else uses. So it's certainly possible, if not very likely, that the big players, and, and, and I'm thinking Apple, uh, are completely aware that this was going on. Uh, and I wonder if we'll see something to address this tomorrow. Oh, well, yeah, no way. Not, not <laughs> something like that. But I was just thinking the same thing when, when, it, when the commercials start, first started running. I mean, Apple's promising to bring out a new Thunderbolt display or some sort of 5K display, right, tomorrow. 
Um, so it's kind of, yeah, I, th- I think that um, I still kind of agree with Aaron that, that Apple, there was probably an expletive that came out of Apple's headquarters today. Yeah. I mean, I am willing to believe, Mark, that they knew that this was coming. Um, but I don't think that they had much lead time on it. Well, no, I'm not saying that they'll have their own version of it, but but they may have some answer to it. Like where, uh, something they'll where, say something, you think? Well, I, I don't know. I don't know, but yeah. but it's possible they'll they'll have some kind of roadmap of something that addresses this and maybe tells us why we don't need this, you know, from Apple's point. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, but that's in the game. I don't think it's a game that Apple plays. I mean, I know other competitors might do that, but I don't think Apple goes that way. But uh, yeah, it would be interesting if to see what they do, maybe like in some sort of innuendo or whatever that they address what what was shown today so because it's definitely gonna like you know one of the things that bothers me to be honest with you as a as an apple fanboy when i watch those surface commercials is the people saying what well, i can't do that on my mac you know as the sort of last last zinger that they throw out and that's kind of that's this kind of like yeah i mean this what they showed today is you certainly can't do that on your mac today right so it'd be interesting to see what they come up with I think even without this event, Apple needed to come out tomorrow to say something about the future of the Mac. Uh, given the delay that we've had with hardware lagging so long, um, I think it really is incumbent upon them to give us some positive messaging. Um, you know, like That's we're true, expecting yeah. some fairly, you know, over you know the, the large scope of time, the, the things that we're going to see tomorrow, I think, are going to be fairly modest evolutionary updates. Um, depending on you know what they do but what i think we really need is some kind of answer to the question of you know what is the future of this platform is this something that apple is going to continue to support or is this the new normal is is two to three years between evolutionary updates all we can expect from now on i I don't i don't think i don't think they'll say anything at all about that because i i think i think that um your opinion is is exaggerated compared to what everyone else in the world thinks uh, I'm not picking on you in particular. I'm just saying the average person hasn't noticed this delay. The average developer maybe, but the average person I, I don't think really has been saying how come Apple hasn't come up with new Macs lately. And as soon as they do come up with new Macs, in the average person's mind, it'll all everything will be back to normal. Yeah, not new Macs, but but Microsoft is so certainly well. This uh, this played is a, a good hand thing, here. The Microsoft yeah. thing. Yeah, I, I wasn't talking about the Microsoft thing. I'm talking about no, the no, I know. In, in the release of. of I'm new thinking Macs. from the point of view of people always expect another iPhone. You know what I mean? Not 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 another model of the iPhone, but another earth-shattering, world-changing device that comes along and tips everything on its ear. Right? That's what they expect from Apple, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm not sure what my thinking is here, Mark. Um. My my gut says that, you know, of course you're right. I am more attuned to this and, you know, people like us are much more attuned to mm-hmm. the happenings at Apple. Yep. But uh, I still think that um, the tech, let's look at the tech press, right? I think the messaging coming from them is, is pretty much on the same vein that, you know, innovation on the desktop is, is slowing and stopping. Um, we've seen also... Uh, one thing we don't even have in our notes here is talk about Apple's financial results, which came out yesterday, right? Um, I, I was going to put a link in there, but neglected to. Um, one of the things that the results from yesterday showed was uh, a very significant decline in Mac sales in the last year. <laughs> and um, 
you know, I think that absolutely suggests that people are probably aware that these machines aren't the the current machines as of as of today are not worth buying in the numbers that they have been. So I think that there is a risk for Apple if they don't continue to innovate. And I think, Mark, I think you're right. I think they're not going to say anything tomorrow. I think they're going to say, we've got some great new Macs. And I think they're going to use the words, we love the Mac. They're going to say that because, <laughs> because the, the, the perception is out there that they don't. And so if you, if you hear those words, then you know that they know that they have a perception problem. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, just because the tech press talks about it, yeah, they're they're in the business of getting clicks, right? I'm not sure that they're that the that the world overall thinks that that Apple has given up on the Mac. I, I just I don't think so. I mean, we saw that uh, that uh, notice from IBM last week, right? That they're starting to switch over to Macs, right? I mean, it's it's the the, the just because they haven't released a Mac in a while, yes, that will that's a direct reason for them for the sales have, have, to have been down or well, it doesn't necessarily imply that apple has given up on the platform I, I don't think apple has given up on the platform right i'm just wondering in my head like i'm trying to draw an analogy for you know sometimes i'm working on some huge project or some huge feature and it will take a while before anything is going to come out of that um but in order to keep sort of like the masses happy it's kind of nice to you know do one of those quick turnaround sort of things like oh well we changed the color on this okay great everybody will be dazzled by that just long enough to buy me some more time to finish what i'm working on right Right? and i'm a little surprised they didn't do that right like hey 2016 macbook pro hey now it's in purple okay thanks bye and let everybody get all dazzled and, and talk about that get confused by it and then you know eventually come out with the Mm-hmm. the uh, thing that it, it they may, really wanted. It may have been that they had every intention of releasing something earlier and just for technical reasons couldn't. Certainly possible, like the AirPods, right? They expected they expected the AirPods to be out this month. That's why they said they'd be out this month. And there were some def, uh, technical difficulties that prevented that from happening. So it's possible that the that, uh, same thing happened with the Macs. They intended to release something new maybe last spring, and, and there were technical reasons why they could not. And uh, so they waited till now. They're not going to tell us that, but but uh, it's certainly possible. Hmm. Right. So I think they still should have had something in their back pocket, you know, just like just dip the damn things in, in purple gold or whatever yeah. it is that they come <laughs> up with. Yeah. Cobalt blue. Right. I would love that. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Over. I don't know. I, f- I feel like um, uh, Apple has some explaining to do. And uh, I'm prepared to be disappointed that they will explain nothing tomorrow. Hmm. Um, Sort of related to that, uh, one more link I attached to this topic is an article by Steve Blank, which is a peculiar name. Maybe it's a pseudonym. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) The article is entitled, Why Tim Cook is Steve Ballmer and Why He Still Has His Job at Apple. And uh, I know that's fairly clickbaity and I don't want to... Um, give this too much credence, but um, he's not talking crazy talk. Um, this this article sort of uh, follows up to a discussion that we had, I believe it was last week, when we discussed a little bit about the innovator's dilemma, uh, yeah, which is the him. phenomenon that large companies uh, tend to ignore uh, disruptive forces in their market and and get disrupted themselves. Uh, the example here in this article is, of course, Microsoft, where we saw that happen after Bill Gates left and Steve Ballmer took over. Ballmer's a sales guy, 
and he you know focused on uh doing what microsoft had at that point been doing very very well making windows and office and he pumped the uh the machine to its absolute best performance because he was a sales guy um and he uh uh steve blank here is tying the uh the performance of apple to sort of the same he's seeing the same pattern say uh, in this case, uh, Tim Cook, who who has uh, come in, he's an operations guy, and he has generated uh, enormous revenues from the iPhone machine. Um, but there are doubts, uh, at least in Steve Blank's mind, uh, as to whether Tim Cook is ready to uh, to avoid being disrupted by uh, other innovators and. Uh, you know, you look at the evidence uh, right now. We're looking at a at a point where we haven't seen many new products come out of Apple. We've got the watch, um, but we've also got a company which uh, has, to my mind, and this isn't just coming from Steve Blank, but I've been thinking about this myself, um, is struggling to launch products. A company that is larger than it's ever been, and maybe this is why, um, and and more wealthy, uh, they are not launching products at a pace that they've even been able to do in the past um there there does to my mind feel like there is something up in that company that they are not um they're not producing in a way that uh that they used to and i don't know um this is a, a fairly lengthy article i apologize for that but uh if you're interested in a perspective on tim cook as uh is perhaps not the best uh, role for the head of a company that has lived and died by innovation alone. Uh, you might find this interesting. Yeah, it's inter- I did actually take a look at it before the show, and um, it's interesting because it does talk. It, it's it's more about the history of Microsoft and and I've forgotten the new guy who took over after Balmer, Satya Nadella. Um, yeah, thank you. And um, they they also talk a, a bit about how um, uh, leaders lead companies and how they're, they're entrepreneurial and they and they take things beyond the, just the regular curve of sales, if you will. And they use Steve Jobs as, as an example of that, of someone who kind of pushes the company beyond its you know mundane self, if you will, right? Um, and and pushes the envelope and gets them to innovate a bit bit more than they do. And maybe that's from the innovators' dilemma. I'm not sure, but. Um, it's an interesting. It's an interesting read. Like I said, it is, like you said, it is long, but uh, it's it's worthwhile going through if you're interested in that kind of stuff. Sort of on the same thing, I've I've pasted a link to an article from Six Colors, uh, with Jason Snell's website, uh, where he very ably covered the financial results from this week. Uh, a, mm-hmm. a rather you know a, a poor quarter for Apple, um, <laughs> but still a very excellent quarter. They made plenty of money. Thank you very much. But uh, this particular link that I've pasted in is sort of a Cole's Notes version of it, um, summarizing the quarter's results in five charts, which uh, I think is is good summary reading if you're just slightly interested in Apple's financial performance. Okay, so. Uh, we've got a lot to look forward to tomorrow. Uh, of course, by the time you, our listeners, hear this show, we'll have all the answers. But uh, I can say with confidence that I am extremely excited, nonetheless, ready to be disappointed, of course, but sure. uh, very much looking forward to the, some new attention to the Mac. Can't wait. Cool. So, Aaron, what is this um, app wage? You've put here. Oh, is that you? Oh, yes, that is me. Yeah, I put that in. This is just something that, that came out today, and uh, I, I thought it would be of interest. I saw, I, I've already got a pick for the week, so I'm not going to 
do something like Jaime and give you two picks. I just wanted to point this out. Uh, it's an open source app for the Mac, which is an iTunes Connect reporting tool. Um, there's Ooh, uh, nice. other commercial applications like AppViz that are available um, and a couple of others. Like, the names escape App me right Annie. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Um, and so this this is an open source. It's available on GitHub. And it uh, provides all the features, well, not all of them, but, you know, like pretty much what you need if you're a small app developer on the App Store. So it connects to your account. Obviously, you have to give your credentials. Uh, gives you sales reporting, ranks and reviews, um, daily emails it sends you. Uh, it re- translates the reviews if they're in different languages using Microsoft Bing. Um yeah. You can filter reviews by title, description, rank, and you can rank filtering by country, genre, and category. I was just reading from the page there. And it looks nice, you know? Nice looking app. So there's a link in the show notes, and uh, check it out if you are an app developer on the store. Cool. We'll have to look at that. That's all I wanted to say about it. All right. Um, so I was uh, watching or listening to a podcast, and it was on Spark, Spark, which is a show on CBC Radio in Sunday afternoons, but it's also available as a podcast. And I've got a link to Overcast here. And um, it was an interesting. The first part of the story, first part of the show, was interesting. And they talked about designing for, or thinking about design, designing for good, bad, and, and worse experiences. And they talk about how you know the emphasis on design for in apps these days is a surprise and delight. And you know, face they they pick. On on Facebook as having this sort of uh, built-in memory generation where they'll take your images and they'll give you like your year in review and there's um, but these what they ask you to consider is sometimes life takes a turn for the worst in in some people's cases and you know their tragedies may happen or or, you know uh, life things change in people's lives and and they don't necessarily need to be reminded of them and one particular case in in the story is of a gentleman whose daughter had died of an aggressive cancer and when they went to show him their year in review they showed him they picked out from his facebook feed because you know people share on facebook even their tragedies Mm -hmm. they put together a sort of you know montage of of these images that just kind of like tore his heart out, right? So, um, yeah, so it's sort of uh, being aware of when you're designing something to, you know, if you're, um, whatever case you're building an app for, uh, just sort of be considerate that the fact that, you know, it's not always, you know, going to the beer, the pub for beers with gu- with the guys kind of thing. It can be it can be some bad, tragic stuff for people as well, so... Interesting. Uh, I've got a. I've got a link here to a sort of synopsis of the story. If you don't listen to the podcast, or like I said, it's just the first ten minutes of the podcast is really really uh, interesting thing. Yeah, I feel like that ties into the diversity and however you want to describe that. You know, diversity problem in the industry. Where uh, if I was to hazard a guess, uh, a lot of the companies that do that sort of thing, um, they tend to not have. Uh, one, at least age range where somebody may or may not even been married, much less had kids, much less had uh, a kid die, right? There aren't, um, in, in a lot of these, these tech industries, there definitely aren't like a lot of people that would have the name grandma and grandpa, right? Right, yeah. And, and exactly. so I feel like that, that sort of sameness, that similarity uh, sort of prevents them from catching it at just the level of like, hey, I'm going to raise my hand in this meeting and say, hey, what, what happens if such and such happens? Right, because you wouldn't even think about it, because you wouldn't have that perspective. So I think this is like another case for uh, beyond just trying to think beyond your own area, but also having um, a diverse and inclusive uh, community around this would, would definitely be helpful. 
And as we're coming up on, on November, which some people celebrate as Movember, which is a time when people uh, are reminded of things like prostate cancer and cancers in general, t- testicular cancers and stuff like that. Um, that's what the that's what why people are wearing the goofy mustaches. It's not so much, you know, um, you know, and, and a, f- a friend of mine did a speech a couple of days ago and he sort of said, you know, if you see somebody at the office who's, you know, the young 20 year old developer who's got this little scraggly mustache, don't make fun of him because he's actually make his statement for Movember in terms of his support. He's collecting money or whatever for these these uh, causes so my point is that you want to sort of be considerate of, of the stresses that people go through in life as well as, as trying to surprise and delight them sometimes you need to you know support them and, and be supportive of them that's all i have to say yeah well very worthy uh topic um i i remember seeing similar uh messages written before about this uh particularly because of facebook right when you get to a billion users you really yeah. can't account for how you're how your app is received and how it affects people it becomes part of the culture. Basically what you have is a, a very homogenous group of people in, um, in San Francisco, basically deciding, you know, what that culture is, which, uh, which I think has long reaching consequences. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, in, in terms of when, when they come up with a new feature, I think that a lot of, a lot of times in order to win market, they think they have to have a, a new whiz bang feature or something like that. And, and just, you know, just apply a little thought to it is what I'm, what I'm getting. I think the message here, right? All right. So are we there? Not quite. Oh, okay. We have a couple more. One last one. Um, that would be my link in the notes here. Uh, for those of you driving home, that's for the uh, Swift.org came up with a new blog post that's super important about the server APIs work group. So that is to try to bring together, you know, all the goodness that's happening with like, we've talked about Keturah, Perfect, um, Vapor, and uh, we haven't talked about Zewo, but that is one that has come to my attention recently. Um, all these communities that are trying to build server-side Swift platforms. And it turns out that there are some basic things you might want for that, like, you know, networking, security, you know, web sockets, HTTP2 handling, uh, all sorts of stuff you wouldn't want to have everybody like reinventing the wheel for. And that if you look at other communities like what uh, Python has available or Node.js, uh, just just pick one, right? They've they've kind of solved that problem of having like the lower level guts that aren't dependent um, necessarily on the underlying platform, right? Like the uh, specific uh, C libraries for those functions. And that's sort of what they're going to look at. And if you look at the, the blog post and the Survey API's um, project page, you can see that the, the big names are on there, uh, everybody that I just mentioned, and as well as Apple itself. So if you want to get involved, go have at it. Cool. Yeah, this is nice. But I, I'm not still 100% clear about exactly what this involves or entails. Um, because is this, like, is this going to be like some kind of foundation library? Like, is this going to be an update to foundation because you know you think of things like networking and that's that's in foundation right so how is this different what's what's the difference between that that'd be interesting to see how that turns out um just because there are so many different ways that you you use swift and um i would say that something like what's the closest one i know like python seems to handle this more at like a package level as to what would this pull in so i think you're quite right something uh, perhaps not foundation itself but maybe like you know foundation server you know (laughs) um, might have these sorts of things in it where you know if you're running um an ios app you may not want you know certain bits of it that are really only pertinent for server side Uh, but if you're running server side so if you could just pull that sucker right in is 
how oh. I think they'll probably be handled, but I've, right, I've not done right, this right. sort of thing myself, but I could sort of imagine that that's the route that they might take. Yeah. Okay. That, that makes more sense. Yeah. So, I mean, you can just imagine, so we talked about things like protobuffs, we talked about JSON, all these other like problems that there's like a bazillion different ways of doing this, um, that I think that they're trying to standardize and, and get some of this working uh, seamlessly across and, and hopefully will help accelerate some of the development for these different web frameworks because they won't have to worry about the lower level guts. They can think at a higher level of abstraction for yeah. where they want to deal with things. Super interesting that they have a steering team that comes from all these different web frameworks already. Vapor, Katura, and Zewo. I've never heard of Zewo. So what's uh, what's Zewo? You've, you say you've been exposed to it recently? I, and when I say recently, I mean like today, um, yeah. because it came up. <laughs> it came up in a video uh, for from my for my pick um, that'll be later in this episode. But it's 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 the server side Swift. What to call it? Library, I guess. That's not a web framework. So it gives you the pieces to build something like a web framework. But All apparently, right. runs as as a web server itself. So I I, I don't know enough about it. It, it feels like it's. Um, a little bit lower, um, lower level, f- more fine grained than Katura Vapor, and Perfect. Huh. It's yeah, funny but because if you look at the uh, stakeholders page, you'll see that uh, Apple, Apple, Perfect, Katura Vapor, Apple. So yeah. it looks like just about everybody and their brother and sister is involved. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to look into the Zewo a little more because uh, I did a tour of of Swift web frameworks a few weeks ago, and this was not on the list, but. Uh, um, it was uh, Vapor and Katura and oh come on, what was the third one? <laughs> okay. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Thank you. So according to Zewo's GitHub page, it is not a web framework. It is a set mm. of modular libraries for server-side Swift. It is designed so you can pick and choose the modules you want or need for the task you have at hand. Uh, most server-side Swift projects use GCD. Uh, but they're saying that that's bad is because it's asynchronous. Uh, I guess they're taking a node approach where it's just all on a single thread, I guess. Well, mm. you know, there's, it's a pretty long introduction, so I encourage you to go in and read it like I will do later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is single threaded. Yeah, it looks like. I'm looking at this thing and having run through those other three frameworks, the setup for Zewo appears to be very similar, like very similar. So yeah, I don't know. don't know if it's uh if it really is that different hmm. when you get down to it. So, okay. Still cool. Um, would, would love to see this work get done. All right. Should we do picks now? Let's do the picks. All right. Pick so them. let's just go for it. Aaron, do you got a pick? I got a pick. My pick is a podcast. Huh? Huh? Who's with me? What? (laughs) So here we are. Uh, It's 2016, and I think you should listen to a different podcast. Listen to our podcast, of course. I mean, you can't can't stop listening to MTJC, but if you you think that getting more than just code is fine, maybe you'd like to try just getting code. And that's what Fatal Error is all about. This is a podcast uh, brought to us by Sarush Kanlu and Chris Zombak, who are two developers who are doing this extremely nerdy, code-oriented podcast. The episodes are being published in uh, 10 per series, I guess, or season, you may call it. And they currently have just published seven. So it's, you're not that far behind. 
they only started uh, last July, and they're very sporadic in publishing uh, their episodes. So it's it's not a huge thing to take on. And extra bonus points, they're only about half an hour in length. So uh, I went uh, back, because I only discovered it today, and I happened to have a little time uh, this morning to listen to their first two episodes. Uh, episode one is on the concept of coordinators uh, using coordinator objects to manage transitions between view controllers um and that was very super interesting uh and the next episode was about view models and the um the sort of programming paradigm uh, mm. as opposed to M- mvc mvvm so they discussed that at some length and uh you know in both cases i learned something so um you might enjoy listening to this podcast as well it's fatalerror.fm and you can have at it. Yeah, I caught the episode on uh, Singletons, I think, is when I learned about it. And I've, I've not gone through the back catalog, but the back catalog does look pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, Singletons is episode 6, published on October 10th. And they seem to be accelerating their pace because uh, episode 7 just came out two days ago as a record, and a mere two weeks after the 6th episode. Mm-hmm. So they're picking up. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's my pick of the week another podcast all right surprise surprise uh hi man do you i know you've probably got a backlog of uh pod picks for the show so why don't you give us a couple or one or a single one uh, although i could have made the other one a pick but i made it a main topic just for funsies uh my actual pick of the week <laughs> is the session videos for functional swift conference 2016 that apparently happened october 1st and 2nd in budapest that would be in the land of hungary so there are, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. let's call it about eight, eight or nine videos um, for the sessions. And I've seen a couple of them, like um, the uh, type safe URL routing in Swift by uh, Yasuhiro Inami. And that's where Zero came up. And, and I thought that was kind of an interesting concept to use uh, Swift's abilities to, you know, be very type safe and to do sort of like a generic slash metaprogramming-ish sort of model to get that type safety out of things like routing URLs, which are very, very stringified. And if you want to turn something into an integer, it it kind of takes your chances in some spots. And he covered a a couple of uh, points that came to my mind, like the fact that um, uh, Vapor apparently has type safe URL routing uh, with a huge caveat that theirs only goes uh, so many entry... um, entries deep. I think he said like three levels deep. So depending Mm. on your URL structure, that may or may not be great for you. Um, uh, On the flip side, and I think he called out, um, I think I want to say he called out perfect or or maybe it was Katura that uh, theirs are not type safe. uh, But the flip side is that makes it really easy to parse, right? It's kind of just like a fancy regex, um, a nicer regex. And in any case, there's more videos like, um, yeah, easy complex UI controls, uh, finding happiness in functional programming. Again, this is all about, you know, functional Swift. I'm surprised I didn't see reactive. Oh no, take it back. Putting the fun in FRP. So <laughs> you will definitely get your functional reactive in there. I haven't seen that video, so hopefully it's fun. <laughs> yep. Can't have a talk or a conference without that topic, right? Right. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. So many videos. 
Uh, my pick is kind of follow-up as well from last week's show in that we were talking about handwriting recognition, and I was talking back and forth with Steve Berg throughout the week um, about uh, the the app that Mark actually found from a company called, well, not the app, but Mark found MyScript, which is a handwriting recognition technology that's available for uh, web and cloud, and also there's an SDK for it supports uh, Windows, iOS, and Android. Um, but the program that I found uh, is called Nebo, and it runs on the iPad Pro with a pencil. So you, that's the, the minimum entry point is that. Boo. Um, yeah, I, yeah, that, that's Well, it that's can't true. be helped. I'm just yeah. sad I can't try it. Yeah, so, well, I mean, so Steve was so excited about, uh, so I tried it out and, and reported back to him, you know, and I think he almost immediately ran out and bought himself an iPad Pro 9-inch. So, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, wow. so he was that impressed with it. He so, wanted it, okay. Yeah, and, and I can tell you that, I, you know, I've often lamented the loss of handwriting recognition, especially on the on the Newton, because it was, even though it was crappy, it was actually pretty good, considering the time, you know, back in 93 when it came out. Um, you know, it got better as each generation went went along, but it was still, you know, the the, the Simpsons joke about the iPad or about the Newton was bang on. Um, so this this app is really kind of cool. It's it's a note put Notepad app. Um, it ha- there are some rough edges. It's free right now, which is kind of cool. I don't know. It's free for a limited time. They say. But literally, I have shown it to a number of people at the office and. Um, any number of, of writing styles, every single one of them has been able to get their handwriting recognition right away. I've immediately started, you know, for the last three days, been using this exclusively as my notebook at the office. I have, you know, uh, like a, a moleskin type book that I normally keep notes in. And one of the most frustrating things about that, as I've men- mentioned before, is if it's on paper, it's really hard to search through. Um, mm-hmm. I also like to use the you know, Notes app for that reason. And, you know, I've been using Evernote uh, at conferences. But yeah, this is, this is uh, a super, super super cool app. I'm really, really pleased with it. So I got a, a ping back from Anthony Lawrence, who is one of the iOS developers at the company, um, MyScript. They're located in France. I'm going to try the name, but it's Nantes, N-A-T-E-S, France. Um, there's about Nantes, 120. Yeah. yeah, is it? Okay. I, I don't know how to pronounce it. Anyway, um, there's about 120 people there. Um, he didn't say how deep the iOS team was, um, but this app was launched in around August of 2016. And I think I've mentioned on the show before, uh, one of the ladies at uh, raywinderlick.com, um, Carolyn Begby, she's in Australia. She does a lot of the Apple Pencil tutorials. And so I asked her if she'd heard about the app, and so she, certainly she had. So she'd been using it for a while. Um, so yeah, there's a dedicated uh, website for if you're interested in this in the app. I mean, definitely try the app out if you have an iPad Pro and, and a pencil. Um, like I said, it's free right now. Um, you just have to create an account. But the account in um, a friend of the show, Darren Peptiste, asked me about you know why we what's with the the access and did I read the terms and conditions? And he was concerned about what they they claim to own. Uh, from your work, but all their and I so I asked um, Anthony Lawrence about that today, and he said basically they're just they're just downloading uh, resources to the device, and that's why they want. They, I guess they also want to know who's using the app, right? Um, but uh, so I chose the Canadian uh, English because you know we have all these extra U's that we're obligated to put in our in our writing. Um, so uh, so that downloaded like a you know a, a language pack for me. Um, but yeah, it's it's super cool. Um, I'm gonna definitely take the uh, SDK out for a spin because you know you can um, put that 
if you're interested, you can put handwriting recognition right in your app. So I'm just going to think of doctor's offices and people who are note takers, you know, who might want to use this. But yeah, for me, I'm totally sold. Like it's, you know, um, uh, like I said, a little rough around the edges, but you know, it does, it's similar to the, uh, pencil experience, uh, or sorry, the paper experience by 53 in that you can have drawings as well. So you can do, you can just, you know, sketch and scribble, but you can also do, uh, there's a drawing mode where you can, you know, if you draw a sort of rough, rough square and put some writing inside of it, it actually can, you can start, you know, putting together flow charts and things like that and little diagrams with boxes and circles and lines connecting them. If you're into that, you know, sort of UML flow web design kind of storyboarding. Um, yeah, but it's super, super cool. Um, can't say enough good things about it. Wow. And given today's content, uh, we would be remiss to not mention it's also available for your Windows Active Pen. It <laughs> has been validated for <laughs> Microsoft called, Surface yeah. Pro or book devices with a Surface yeah. Pen. That's yeah. true. That's true. And Tim, did, uh, did I understand you correctly when you say that like, is this um, available as an SDK that other applications can use as well? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a cloud SDK. There's one called ADK, which I guess maybe that's Android. I guess I don't know. Yeah, uh, but there's a... also there is an SDK for for developers. There's pricing for the the web web versions of it, um, but at the iOS one, you know, there's a form you have to fill in and con- you have to ask to be allowed to use the uh, the SDK. T- uh, Paper by fifty three did the same thing at at one point as well. Okay, I'm looking at it now. They've got uh, dev.myscript.com is right. their uh, their APIs. Okay, I hear you. Cool. And they're targeting the three you know, mobile platforms right now, iOS, Android, and Windows. I know I called Windows a mobile platform. I realize that. That's probably a foible, but... Well, no, I, I don't think it is anymore. <laughs> yeah, you mean in terms of phones, yeah, but, but in terms of service, I guess that's kind of counts as a mobile device, don't you think? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, would Windows, was it, uh, is it UWP, Universal Windows Platform, I think that stands yeah, for? That's right. Um, if there was somebody who wanted to make phones, uh, hypothetically, it would extend from that giganto uh, Surface Studio all the way down to, you know, a mobile yeah. phone. Yeah, I want to see yeah. the target, target, target bag that carries that uh, large screen. <laughs> now this looks terrific tim uh how long have you been using it now i've had it for about three or four days yeah okay so yeah, yeah I, like I would I said, actually love to hear you um report back well actually I, I one of one of uh i was showing it to a colleague at the office and he pulled out his phone and, and made a video of it and um you know, so it was. I was showing him how, like, it's it's kind of cool. You you can start writing, and it doesn't like the way I do ing when I when I'm writing words like talking and whatever. Um, so to correct that, you basically there's a, a sort of shorthand where if you you write out what you want, it stays in in your scribble, but it shows you in a line above what it interprets that your scribble as, right? Right. So right. you so you can very quickly go through, and uh, you if you strike if you do draw like a vertical pipe da- in a downward motion, it separates the words and then like. Put some puts a space in, and if you do another vertical pipe, it it return cre- creates a new line. So you, you can separate out the words. You can cro- you can scribble just like in the in the Newton used to scribble things out to erase them. Um, the only thing is missing is a little cloud puff, but um, yeah. you scr- scribble out the uh, the offending letter, and you can put the new one in. So. Uh, like in the demo, I was showing him. I can, I, you know, I, I, I wrote. I need to fax this, and then you know, took change the A to an I. And unfortunately, he's was an Android device, so we were trying to figure out how he can get that to me because no handoff. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, so when it shows when it shows you what it thinks it is, yeah. Uh, can you 
with a with a keyboard say go ahead and say no it's actually this no uh, there's no uh, don't, don't know yeah no keyboard but so w- let me i guess i should finish so, so the you write out what you want it, st- it so stays in scribble but in the line above it shows you what the te- how it interprets it and then you you tap right. on it you double tap on it with your finger and that converts it into text right and then if you and then it's and it shrinks it down in size. And if you double tap on it again with your finger, it brings it back up to like a larger font size with lines underneath. And that's when you can go in and edit it. So you can edit it when it's still in your handwriting cursive, right? Or you mm-hmm. can edit it once you've once you've saved it. You can go back and edit it. Sort of sort of stays like as a okay. flexible text. Oh, and the other thing, Mark, I want to tell you is I, I told sent you a text today. Carolyn was telling me that um, they have another program called. MyScript MathPad, which uh, provides oh, right, la- right. LaTeX support. LaTeX is, I guess, the math language support. I forget what yeah, LaTeX is. Yeah. So you can actually write out um, uh, calculations equations. and in- uh, equations. You know, yeah. That might be just enough to make me go out and buy a, a, an iPad. Yeah, uh, it's with, totally, with a, totally with a cool. Pencil. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. If, if you've ever tried to write a a, a a like a scientific or technical document uh, that has a lot of equations. Doing that in any of the what you see is what you get types of, of systems that we have on, on, on the Mac or anywhere is yeah. just a real nightmare. And LaTeX is is probably the best way to do it, but it's it's so old school because it's I mean it's almost an HTML ish kind of thing where yeah. where you, ha- you put in tags. You know, if you want something a superscript, you, you t- kind of tag it superscript, and 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 you have to do the layouts in in text. So having you know, my dream has been to have a what you see is what you get that was easy to use, where you could just kind of, you know, uh, uh, build your equations very, very simply that way. But this is probably the best way. Because if you can just write out a, an equation uh, with superscripts and square roots and all that kind of stuff and have it instantly translated, that that's pretty amazing, actually. Yeah, but, if you can you see the video. It, it's there it in the video. It, to, it converts it to LaTeX or it converts it to... Uh, just like a, say, a, for example, a word format, or does uh, both? All he said in this, yeah. Well, it actually does support Word as well, but he does mm-hmm. he did say it, it provides LaTeX support, LaTeX mm-hmm. from your mm-hmm. input, whatever that means. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's it. So it's it's just uh, it's 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 parsing it and then and then writing it out. It's you know it's sort of like one of these uh, uh, an HTML code generator, right? If if you had if you had a what what you see is what you get that converts to HTML, it's doing that same kind of thing. Uh, so in theory, the output could be whatever they write a, a parser, a reverse parser for. I might switch hats for the second there, Mark. It, it, apparently, mm-hmm. the cloud version also supports music notation. Oh, very interesting. Yeah, that's very cool. Eh? So that, yeah, that would make yeah. a really killer app, right? So it would. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, if anybody from the Apple Store is listening, if they put Nebo on their iPad Pros in the Apple Store, they would start selling off the shelves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll bet. Um, I'm loading here, Mark. I've put a link in our chat uh, to their math tour on their developer site, uh, which demonstrates some of the features. And they say here they can export to LaTeX and MathML. Math okay. And they also do solving, so you can write an equation and it'll solve it for you. <laughs> yeah. Weird. Yeah. That well, that's that's cool, but that's that's not really new. There's stuff that does I'm, that already. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. here you go though. Yeah. The, the same examples like in the video are nifty, but I want to see some like Goodwill Hunting style math equations going on here. <laughs> so you, one. four squared plus two. Oh, okay. That's actually pretty cool. I'm sure it's hard, but goddamn it, I want to see like an entire blackboard. 
Boom. So, so just just for fun, yesterday I actually wrote up some Swift in the, in this program, and then copied and pasted it into the playground. And, and but the yeah. fact that I was able to actually able to write the syntax out and figure that out, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Hmm. Now, if they could attach this to say the Accelerate framework, so you could write out some matrices and it automatically does the matrix manipulation or does the uh, the quadrature integration that's built into Accelerate from what you draw. That would be pretty cool. If they don't have that, maybe I need to download the SDK and get worked on that. Hmm. <laughs> well, it sounds like you got some research to do cool. there, Mark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say I heard want, 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 Accelerate, want, 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 Accelerate. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. All right. One of these one of these days, Tim, I'm gonna have to write you a tutorial on the Accelerate framework because it's actually yep. really cool. For sure, yeah, for sure. Yep. No, I, we're yep. definitely gonna dig into that for sure. It's just mm-hmm. I got to get through uh, writing another Swift course. Gonna be teaching some people some Swift, so mm-hmm. gonna be fun. Gonna be fun. Um, yeah. So that's it. Our work here is done. All right, Aaron. So Aaron, if people want to find you on the interweb, where would they look? Go to Twitter at Aaron Vay. And Jaime, if they want to find you on the interwebs. Also on Twitter is at Dev of the Hair. And Mark? Well, since no one's found my Twitter account yet, markr at smapsoft.com. <laughs> Perfect. I'm sure they have. You just don't reply to it. And no, once again, no one's posted. I checked. Once again, for those of you who missed it last week, I am Tim Mitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I am T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter. And we shall see you guys and on. Later. Or next, or next week. All right. Bye. Bye. And you just listened to the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast's Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. I think we have enough. Uh, where are we? I gotta figure out how to work this computer thing. It's so hard to use. Um. <laughs> okay, so that that emoji worked. That's wonderful. Thank you. Except I had he's, to copy he's... and paste it. I couldn't yeah. enter it. It was. It's weird. more like a happy emoji, though. I want the sad crying, not the oh, tears of joy. I want oh, tears of sorrow, not tears of joy. All right, sorry. Okay, no, no sweat. I'm. You know, we're buds. You know, we can forgive each other our foibles support he's collecting money or whatever for these these uh, causes so um yeah or so we just have too to... lazy to shave <laughs> no no <laughs> we'll but just the... put the, the harry's uh at the dollar shave club subscriptions on uh, Holy like, put that on hold yeah. for this month <laughs> yeah anyway so i mean my, my point is that you want to sort of be considerate of, of this